Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Hello, everybody, and welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren, and I'm really excited today because I have one of my very good colleagues joining us, Erin um, Deedy, who is going to talk to us today about, as part of our PACE series, Property Assessed Clean Energy Financing. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Now, of course, Aaron. For those of you that don't know you, um, you're based down in the Sunshine State of Florida. Um, why don't you just get us started by telling us a bit about the Florida Green Energy Works and your role um, in that program, as well as kind of the whole overall impetus for its formation. Uh, sure. So I'm a lawyer and a planner down here in South Florida. My office is based in West Palm Beach, and I've been working on PACE since 2010 when our state passed the statute. In fact, I uh, got to work on the development of the statute along with a lot of other parties. And so our state has been in the implementation phase for the last several years. Uh, back with the stimulus grant money that was floating, I wrote a grant for my town, my local government town where I live, the town of Lantana, to form a commercially focused uh, PACE program. We won that, that stimulus grant that moved from the feds down through the state and launched a multi-jurisdictional commercially focused PACE program it was originally called Florida Green Energy Works in October of 2015. That program was purchased by, the company was purchased by Renew Financial out of California. And Renew Financial is headed by Cisco DeVries, who created the PACE concept. So we have taken our program, formed it in its initial commercial stages, um, have expanded the program greatly through the acquisition of our, our company and our program, and now we're working with one of the leading PACE providers in the country, and the program is greatly expanding quickly in the state of Florida, as are all of the PACE programs. The PACE market is very robust and very active and growing um, exponentially. That is so great to hear that um, the PACE programs are growing. I mean, I remember a few years back, a few of them had started. And then, of course, uh, Sally May and Freddie Mac came in uh, when they were talking about residential PACE. Um, and I do want to get to that differentiated between commercial and residential. But before we do that, why is it you think PACE is such an attractive option for local governments? Well, um, just backing up, PACE statutes exist in 32 states plus the District of Columbia. Out of those 32 states, 19 states plus the District of Columbia actually have active programs. Like some states have a statute, but they actually haven't started deploying yet. And the biggest reason that it's attractive for local governments is it appeals to all, all sectors. 
if your council or your commission really is into green energy, environmental issues, sees this as a tool to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, you're going to have support there. If your council is very pro-economic development and likes to see small businesses thrive, you will get support from your local contractor community and it will appeal to that you know, portion of your elected leadership. So I think, and, and what happens also is when more PACE projects are being done, people are pulling permits, it's more fees into the local government. So, you know, there's, there's the feel-good reasons, and then there's the hard economic reasons. And then the final piece is job creation. There was a uh, Eco-Northwest study done, I think it was in 2011, that basically said for, um, you know, every $100 million of PACE assessments, a certain number of jobs are created. And, and that study has been shopped to local governments as yet another reason why there are benefits of PACE. So, you know, I think I think the answer is that it's got so many different benefits and appeals to so many different people's um, political views and what they think is important as uh, a role of a local government in supplying the program. That's that's why it's so attractive. You know, and that's you're bringing up some really interesting points because, and I love that you're giving us kind of that historical background because not everyone may be as aware of it. I mean, I think just the whole fact that we have so many local governments across the country that are trying to strive towards creating more sustainable communities, and it's great to have all these programs. The the governments at the local level are trying to lead by example with energy efficiency projects, with renewable energy projects. Um, and then the whole idea is, hey, we need the community to do the same. We can't achieve our broader sustainability or greenhouse gas reduction goals if everybody is, isn't part of the solution. So PACE kind of gives folks that financing option. So could you talk a little bit about, for those that are less aware about actually how PACE works, could you talk to us just about that, um, that detail of what PACE, how PACE enables folks to take on these um, projects? Sure. You know, typically what happens, and I'll give, you know, because I think you're having um, challenging weather this weekend, so I'll give you a, a, a sunny example. Um, let's say it's August and you're in South Florida and your air conditioning breaks and you're hot and your contractor comes to you and says, you got to spend $10,000 for a new air conditioning unit. And you say, okay, well, do I really have to spend $10,000 or can I spend, you know, less and just get away? Like, what's the size? What are my options? That type of thing. And that discussion is quite common. And that could be a home improvement, you know, say your heating breaks down or you want to put on a solar panel. You know, what are my options? And if you're paying for those types of improvements with cash out of your pocket right away, a lot of times that debate goes to the least costly alternative. 
not necessarily the most efficient or not the one that's maybe going to maximize, you know, energy savings or for solar energy production, but, you know, it's hot and, you know, you've got sweat beating down your forehead and it's August and your air conditioning is broken. Mm-hmm. What PACE does is it gives you a financing tool where you don't have to provide all of that money up front and you can finance it essentially through your tax bill. And every single time you pay your taxes, usually annually, sometimes it's quarterly or semi-annually, there will be a line item on your tax bill that will say, you know, it will stand for your PACE assessment. So if you finance, you want to finance that air conditioning system for 10 years, there will be a certain percentage rate that will be applied depending on the length of time that you have the financing. And that way you don't get billed every month. And it doesn't become like another credit lender that you have. It does, though, become a lien on your property. And it is a very senior lien on your property because taxes, local government taxes and assessments have the highest priority, even over mortgages, on, on, your, um, on your financing of your mortgage and your documents. So the point is that give that, give that certainty by making it a senior lien so you can get a lower cost financing than you would have to by like financing it through Home Depot or that type of thing. And then the ease of paying it back every year when you pay back your, your taxes. And, you know, states differ in terms of the types of improvements that you can finance. In Florida, it's energy efficiency, renewable energy, and wind resistance improvements for, like, hurricane hardening. But most states have energy efficiency, renewable energy, sometimes water efficiency. But the idea is all the types of improvements that would result in lower energy use, lower utility costs, and lowering, ultimately, your greenhouse gas footprint. It's It seems like, wow, this is such an amazing tool. Uh, why wouldn't everybody want this tool? I mean, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing of why we're kind of, not everybody has this? It sounds like, you know, 19 of the 32 states. Why isn't everybody on board? Well, there have been concerns that you alluded to earlier um, with with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the Federal Housing Finance Agency. They don't like the fact that this is um, the vehicle to extend the financing is through the tax bill. They have had concerns about that for a long time. We have seen some of the federal agencies, such as HUD, the Department of Energy, start to break through um, that resistance, but I, I don't think that we're 100% there yet. So some local governments and states even are concerned that until we have all of that laid to rest with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the Federal Housing Finance Agency, that maybe there's inherently some level of risk to moving forward. I would say over the last three years that that risk and that perception has greatly diminished. And for instance, in in Florida, I would call 2017 the year of pace because I think we have finally gotten through uh, some of those concerns and some of that perception of risk, and it's growing exponentially. We're seeing it growing exponentially in other states. Um, In the Northeast, New York has their program and other programs that are starting to demonstrate 
a positive track record with the assessments where people are saving money, um, they're having a really positive experience with the program, and I think that's why you're starting to see it deployed. So overcoming those challenges has really been about creating a positive story. Well, and you mentioned the federal government. So, you know, with our new administration in place, do you think folks will feel less concerned about these federal agencies um, and the potential risk that you talked about there? I, you know what, I am, um, I, I don't know where to come down on that. We, the, this is the, some of the frustration with the, with the federal government. You had some agencies that were supporting PACE, touting PACE as a great solution, like the Department of Energy, EPA. You know, you had a lot of agency and entity support out there that would, um, that would further the former president's clean energy agenda, the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, the, the reliance on the science showing us that, you know, the greatest sources of greenhouse gas emissions are, you know, transportation, the, the built environment itself, and that this is a tool to reduce that while saving people money and potentially adding value to their property all at the same time. So even within our former federal administration, you had this great support, but on the other side of the equation, you had the um, Department of Treasury, and then you had the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which is a federal agency also, uh, that, that raised concerns in anything related to the regulation of the banking or mortgage industry. You know, those industry players would put pressure on those federal agencies to either oppose or raise concerns on it. So there was a divide, and it was dependent on that particular federal agency and what its mission was. And I believe that the same story, because it was a cross-disciplinary story before in terms of economic development, small business, clean energy, reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, that story doesn't change. And it is still an appealing story. So for me, I think the, the question will be, you know, what does the, the new federal administration, what, what, are they, what changes do they make to, for instance, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which regulates Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Like, if there's a change in administration there, what will be the views of the people that take over that agency? But they, it can't get worse. They've always been opposed to it. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully the idea is that, you know, if they put – if they have a changeover with that particular agency, then we open things up. And I do know that the former president, towards the end of his administration, this was not something that no one was paying attention to. People were trying to work with the Federal Housing Finance Agency, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, to get them to agree to standards and guidelines and that type of thing. So my hope is that that work that had been done to get those agencies on board um, would continue because it's the same positive story to tell. It's just like, you know, the changeover in any administration, you have this period of time when, like, 
nothing happened. So my hope is that we would just not lose momentum that we were having to, to change the course of those agencies before. That's great. I mean, it, there really has been so much progress. I, I remember, you know, when Pace first came out and everybody was all excited about it. And then, you know, this hiccup arrived and then folks kind of halted. I mean, even here in Massachusetts, I mean, we've been number one for um, energy efficiency in the country for like three years straight. And yet we just I mean, literally just approved um, enabling legislation for PACE. Like, how are we not doing that? We've got renewable energy all over the place. The third party uh, leasing on for roofs is, I mean, every, I have four neighbors with solar. Um, you know, everyone's doing that. It's, it's odd to me that a state like Massachusetts would be behind on that. So Florida really has been a leader. Um, and of course, that's where you're based. Uh, why don't you give us some examples kind of specific to Florida? Like what, who are the communities that are engaged there? And what are some of the, the cool things that they're doing? Well, all the most populous counties are either already have a, a PACE program. And the shift now is to have multiple PACE providers. We call it multi-provider. So, you know, there are four main active providers in Florida right now. Um, you know, the most populous counties already have one or more PACE providers that are authorized and are, you know, closing transactions. So, you know, the leadership is there. Um, you know, for instance, the city of Orlando. city of Orlando has been a green leader in Florida for a long, long time. All four PACE providers are offering their program there as, like, you know, Broward County, the Fort Lauderdale area, soon to be followed by Miami-Dade, Palm Beach County. And Pinellas and Hillsborough over on the west coast in the Tampa Bay region are working, working through the program, too. So the thought leaders in terms of local government sustainability are there. One driver of pace in Florida is the wind resistance improvements, um, you know, hurricane shutters, roof reinforcement, that type of thing that allows you to make improvements to save on your, um, your hurricane and your wind insurance. While it's sometimes a little tougher to quantify those benefits, like, you know, you know if you get new windows and new insulation, you're immediately going to see a reduction in your electricity bill the next month. Um, you know, so it's been a little bit more challenging to quantify the benefits of the, the wind resistance improvements, but those are, you know, those are a primary driver of this. It's, it's AC units, it's the wind resistance improvements, um, those are the things that are kind of like leading the charge. Um, my hope for the future of Florida is that we will add flood mitigation to the list of improvements. Um, for instance, Alabama's PACE statute that, that I helped work on um, has flood mitigation improvements. It's the only state out of the 32 that includes that. And, you know, of course, in, you, hindsight is 50-50, but, you know, you look back at what we knew about wind insurance back in 2010 and everything that we have with going on with national flood insurance reform and all that, we would have added, you know, the flood mitigation piece to it because if you're going to shore up the house to protect it from hurricanes, you're going to do the wind and flood together. We just didn't have that same NFIP debate. And I think that I think that, that is something that shows strong potential for, you know, the future of PACE. Now, 
the other side of the equation is you don't want to get to the point where you're hanging too many balls on the Christmas tree because if you still got the banking industry and mortgage lenders out there that are seeing risk in this, you don't want to you don't want to start evolving pace so much that the improvements become tenuous and the benefits questionable. So we still may be um, we still may be early in that discussion about utilizing pace for other things. Um, you know, the final example I'll give you is California. They're using them for soft story improvements uh, for earthquake resilience. Um, so I, I think it's coming, but. There ha it's a certain type of improvement that is financeable to PACE. It has to be attached to the property. It has to benefit the property. It has to have an economic benefit, you know, to your insurance or to the property value. Um, you know, bathroom improvements, you know, for aesthetics are not something that should be financed through PACE. And I think we need to be careful in making you know, that distinction. It's a slippery slope and we don't want to, um, you know, thumb our nose at the industry that we're trying to get supportive of PACE. You mentioned a lot about kind of the the different types of improvements you can make. And I think you make some great points about not wanting to water it down. So it's like the whole kitchen sink that you're trying to do. Um, that, all, that got me thinking about kind of just logistics in general. And I know you mentioned earlier about a lot of cities. I know Orlando did this, you know, when we worked on their sustainability plan, PACE was a big priority. I was happy to see them going to that multi kind of provider option. And on their website, you can even see like, here are the folks that you can reach out to if you're interested. What is that balance? What does it look like for a local government? Some of them, especially the early adopters, they were doing all of this administration in-house. I'm curious how many are still doing that versus kind of going this third party route and then what does the what does it look like on the local government what's the reality of the resource cuz certainly there's still some resources that have to be expended to support the multiple vendors and things like that so what does that look like Yeah there's some there is some work from the local government staff up front to that the providers, I mean, the question I always get is, what, what does approval mean? If I approve you, what does that mean? And typically, most programs in every state are the same way. You get the local government to pass a resolution because nobody's going to offer the program until there's an affirmative approval of the local government to say, yeah, I, I want this. And then secondly, what you're going to do, the local government is going to enter into an agreement with the PACE program, because that agreement will allow the levy and collection of the assessments on the tax bill. So those are the two actions that are typically in front of the local government, that resolution and that agreement. And there, you know, we, everybody has a form and everybody, you know, tries to do legwork ahead of time and says, here's a draft resolution, here's the draft agreement. But typically what the local government will want to do is they'll want to add some things to that. You know, for instance, they'll want reports. I mean, you talk, we talked about earlier what the benefits to the local governments are. Well, local governments want to report to know how many projects, what's the demand, what is the energy savings, so they can understand how it fits within their sustainability programs, so they can justify it to their elected officials and say, see, this is a good thing. We've been able to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the built sector by X. 
So, you know, you'll typically see that. The local governments will want that. The level of effort required by the local government ranges. It could be absolutely like zero, you know, from as minimal as attorney review and agenda prep, and then that's it, to other local governments that, for instance, want to put it on their website, make it available, make sure that the PACE providers uh, attend local government events to get the, the word about the program out on the street for participation. So the, the responsibility and the accountability for the local government can be very can be very wide-ranging, but the providers try to make it as turnkey and as easy as possible for the local governments to get into the programs. And that's, that's really important because if this is burdensome um, to a local government, they're not going to participate. The other thing that the local government wants to see is cons the, the hot trend issue within the PACE market now nationally, the buzzwords are consumer protections. How are we protecting people? You know, for instance, one key consumer protection is people that participate in the program that are elderly. You know, we want to make sure that they're not hoodwinked by their contractor. So we, you know, call them back and say, do you understand that this is a lien on your property? Were you told about the financing terms? Do you understand what those are? You know that this will be a line item on your tax bill every year. You know, you verify that information with them to make sure that they fully understand the nature of what they're entering into. And, you know, under that consumer protection umbrella, another big issue is privacy of people information. You know, you want to provide reports back to local governments on the benefits of the property, but you don't want to be divulging, you know, the value of their property. Of course, they can look it up on the property appraiser records, but, you know, it's project-specific sensitive information. You want to protect that. And so that's what the PACE providers do. They have privacy policies, and the local governments want to see that. So, and sometimes they even make, want to take a further step and regulate it by passing some kind of ordinance. So, again, very flexible in terms of what the local government, what their wants are, their needs, you know, the concern of and perception of risk by the local government officials and staff. Um, you know, we strive, and all the PACE programs strive to really work um, to make sure that those concerns are taken care of so we have a successful program. Well... It's it's amazing <laughs> actually hearing all this because I think when people just talk about it, you know, we you and I do a lot of plans. You're like, oh yeah, we want to do a pace program. I feel like a lot of folks really don't understand the the level of detail and in, in all of the logistics that go into actually making a program like that happen, let alone making it successful. Um, so it sounds like, I mean, everyone in Florida is everyone using third parties, or, or any of them trying to do that themselves? Everybody is pretty much using third parties. There were two local governments that started and thought that maybe they would run the program in-house, and even they have now since gone to, to third parties. Because it's multidisciplined. You know, yeah. it takes finance expertise, project expertise, logistics, computer operation to streamline the approval process and the reporting and that type of thing. So all, the, the third-party model is, is the dominant model. But you do have other states like Connecticut that have much more state oversight regulation and, you know, that, that 
some level of control over over how it's done. So, you know, you have state-dominated models or basically delegated models back to the local governments. Um, it just depends on the state. But for the most part, the third-party administrator is now the dominant model. Okay. So, and I know that I think, does Connecticut and I think the Massachusetts new um, legislation is specific to commercial. So that would mean that in those states, even if the local governments wanted to, they would not be able to address the residential sector. There'd need to be a change at the state level. Is that correct? Right. So the far most successful commercially focused program is Connecticut at this time. Texas is starting to grow. Their statute was a commercial-only statute, and I think Kentucky recently passed a commercial-only statute. I know Alabama's was because I worked on theirs. So I would say post-2010, you did have a lot of states in terms of legislation that passed commercial-only statutes to stick a toe in the water, hopefully you know, hoping that the residential issues would be resolved quickly and they could go back and surgically amend the statute to include the residential piece of it. Um, but you still have older states with older statutes that authorize both, um, like California, like Florida. Um, I think Colorado is one in that category, too. Um, so, you know, you have varying levels of success. Commercial-only programs are far more challenging to scale in terms of success than commercial and residential programs together. Mm-hmm. And a, a very good resource on this is um, PaceNation.org. They're a national not-for-profit organization that serves and supports the PACE industry and contractors and local governments. They have great resources on their website. Uh, they have all of the different state statutes in one section on their website. Um, they have, you know, model documents for the formation of a program. And, and one of the key things they do, if you pull up right on their homepage, they track the amount of residential PACE projects nationwide and commercial PACE projects nationwide. And when you go to that, you will see exponentially more residential than commercial projects completed. Awesome. Well, Erin, as always, you are such a wealth of knowledge. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. I just want to kind of wrap up here for our listeners. We've got, I've kind of pulled out some key items here. First off, clearly we know that PACE is a great solution to address uh, energy efficiency, renewable energy opportunities, and in some cases it sounds like getting more towards that resilience um, efforts. It's available in through enabling legislation in 32 states plus the District of Columbia, but really you need to know what the language is in those particular statutes um, so that in order to design a program that's going to be appropriate for the state that you're in. And then really leveraging resources um, through Pace Nation and of course considering these third-party vendor opportunities seems like a a way to be successful if um, you know someone wanted to drive this forward in their own community. Are there any other um, tips or advice that you'd give folks that maybe want to get one started for in their community? Um, I think the biggest thing is getting buy-in from obviously your local elected officials 
um, your local tax supervisor, tax collector, or whatever they call themselves, and property appraiser if necessary, having a good base of contractors that, you know, are supportive of the program that shows the private sector support out there, I think is really important because they're small businesses and elected officials are typically, you know, really responsive to small businesses. Um, I think all of that's really important if you're a local kind of person that really wants to, to, to see it start to happen. Doing that, you know, groundwork ahead of time. If you're going to go and meet with an elected decision maker, bring a contractor with you that is familiar with the program and is motivated. Um, you know, I, I think they they speak they speak the language, and the uh, elected officials are typically really really responsive to them. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think again, Pace Nation is a great resource in terms of information. Um, calling them and saying, hey, I want to do this, what, you know, what are some great resources? They, they, you know, they know who's active in particular states and can connect you with people to, to find out more information. They kind of track all that and, you know, who's doing what in what state. So I, I highly recommend them as, as a resource. Well, and clearly you are also a great resource. So should I give your phone number out on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, how about my website? ErinDadyLaw.com <laughs> is my there we website. Go. <laughs> and you can, you can always find me. Um, and I'm always happy. I've, I feel calls from, you know, all over the country of people that are, you know, looking to, to understand more and try to help them connect to um, programs. And, you know, I think, I think that, again, 2017 is a year that we're going to see a lot of really great exponential growth in the program. So um, stay tuned. Awesome. Well, Erin, again, thank you so much for your time. This has been super informative. I think our listeners are going to be just racing out the gates to try to get started on um, pushing PACE programs in their community. So really appreciate you taking the time, and thank you so much. Sure. No problem at all. All right. And for everyone out there, you've heard it here. We've got all the information you need on PACE, so get on out there and get going on it. We need to start taking some action. Thanks, Erin. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?